Acts 1-8. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I ask you to bless it. But I pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill this place, every person here, get us locked in and focused to give you our best ear, our full attention. And, Lord, I pray help us to be good, fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I pray that as you speak through me, let it go forth as living seeds of truth. Sown on a good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains, Lord. That you would burn this into us, that it become a part of who we are. And we bind away any influence right now that's not of God, away from this property and everyone's life. And we bless this time. And Lord, we pray that you would let everything be accomplished in and through the outworking of it, that your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts 1 8. All right, real quickly, we know the story. Jesus, when he was with them, the disciples, he kept telling them over and over that he said, I'm going to go away. It's better for you that I go away so that I will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he said that it would be better because he also said that you will do greater works than I do. And so as Jesus was preparing to leave, he kept telling the disciples to go wait in Jerusalem and Luke 20, let me see, Luke 24, 49, I believe. He told him, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Acts 1, 8, which I'm about to read. This was the last thing that he was putting such a strong emphasis on to the early church. Peter asked him, Lord, or at this time, in verse 6, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set in his own authority, but you will receive power, everybody say power, power. when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you're not going to be able to do much of anything without the power of God, okay? And that was a great emphasis that Jesus put as he was preparing to leave. He kept telling them, teaching about the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes in John 14 through 16, he will lead you in all truth. He will teach you the things that I've taught you. He'll help you understand it. He said he'll bring back to remembrance the things I've taught you. He also said that the Holy Spirit will show you things that are to come in the future. And so I want to talk just a little bit tonight about the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me go through some things. One of the things that you need to understand, and God put this on my heart a little while back, I think this is timely is that how many knows we're in a war? Amen? If you don't, I mean, I don't know where you've been, what planet you've been on. Welcome to planet Earth, and we are, we are in a war, okay? So there's a strong battle going on. Let me, let me just kind of give you a breakdown real quick. In Ephesians 6, Paul said to make sure you put on the armor of God to withstand the wiles of the devil. And he said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And you go, always got to remember that. You guys that go out witnessing and stuff like that, you can never take anything personal. Because, I mean, if you were talking to them and you were telling dirty jokes and cussing with them, acting like a heathen like them, they would like you just fine. It's not you that they hate. It's Jesus that they hate. And when you come up to them, that's what bothers some of these people out there. They can't stand it. You understand that? You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So when people are being hateful to you, it really has nothing to do with you. It's because of who you represent. 
and the Holy Spirit that's living in you. Okay. But he said that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, world rulers, and wickedness in the heavens. And so you're going to deal with this, okay? On the very low level, you're dealing with the little demons that run around trying to cause problems, okay? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. But there's a hierarchy that he exposed, principalities and powers. And a principality gets, comes from the Greek word arche, where we get the word architect. And these are higher-ranking beings. They're intelligent, okay? And Satan has put them over geographic territories. There's a principality that's over America. But there's also principalities that are over cities and regions. And I'm telling you, there's a principality over this region, okay? Just like there is everywhere. And then the powers, the, the principalities are more of the intelligence. They, they draw out like a blueprint. They map out. They know where the churches are. They know who's a threat and who's not a threat. And they start strategizing how they're going to oppose the people of God. And then the powers are the ones that carry it out. Okay, just like an architect will draw out the blueprints, but the workers come in and start doing the hammering and the nailing and, you know, erecting a structure. And so that's how it works. There's a principality, but there's powers underneath him that go out and try to oppose the people of God, okay? World rulers are those that blanket the entire world with their influence, and I'm not going to get into too much of that. But I want to make you aware of the satanic attack coming against this region. If you're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, you can't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Okay? You need to know what the Lord wants you to know about this battle. And most people live in complete ignorance of anything spiritually going on. Do you understand that? Most of the church world have no idea what's actually going on spiritually at all. Just like Pastor Jeff was talking about last night, their vision is blurred. They can't see. And they don't understand what God's up to, and they don't understand what the devil's up to. They have no idea. They're just there. And that's why there's no discernment, and therefore the devil can come into a lot of churches, and believe me, he does. And I'm talking about demons, okay? It's just an expression. The devil can only be at one place at one time. But demonic forces come against churches, and you know what they do? They pit people against each other. But people have no discernment, no wisdom from the Lord, and a thought comes into their mind that they're mad at so-and-so, and they just run with it. That was straight from the devil, but they're just running with it. Yeah, I'm mad at this person. They shouldn't have said that, acting like a bunch of babies. I've seen people that are 80 years old that act like kindergartners in church. I have. I've seen it. He sat in my pew. He sat in my pew. You know, big babies. And you don't see that in the workplace because nobody put up with it. But, you know, in the church, it's like full of immature big babies that can't get along. And that's, that's the thing. When Jesus was here, he taught us a kingdom divided can't stand. And he also, in John 17, toward the end of his life, how many knows if you knew, and Jesus knew, that he was coming to an end of his life, that your days you'd be thinking about what's the most important things to do, what's the most important prayer <laughs> prayers to pray and jesus right at the end of his life in john 17 was praying father that they may be one just as you and i are one so he's praying for unity do you realize that that's the only unanswered prayer of jesus so far and do you realize that there's people 
that it's like they do everything they can to keep from having unity in the body of Christ? There's people in every church except here. Amen. All right, but there's people in every church that that just seem to be, if, if the devil's going to show up, he shows up in them. And here they are trying to buck the pastor, trying to cause so-and-so to be mad at so-and-so and gossip and slander and backbiting and church splitting and yada, yada. You know, the Bible says how to deal with these people. I don't know why I'm going on this, but the Bible says how to deal with these people. It says the mark of divisive person have nothing to do with them. Romans 16, 17. And we've had to do that because the devil has sent some people our way. And I'm going to tell you, every move of God so far, and I've seen, let me tell a quick story. I could, there's more than one, but there was a pastor that, there was a time that my senior pastor was an evangelist, and it's not Pastor Tommy now, and this is a different individual. But he was preaching at a church, and later on this church saw a phenomenal move of God. <coughs> Excuse me, but he was there as an evangelist, and he was about to get up and preach, and the pastor said, hold on a second, I've got to take care of something. Now imagine if you were in this congregation, and there was a lot of people there. It was like a Sunday morning. And the pastor gets up there and leans on the pulpit and says, and I'm making up names, said, Bob, I want you and your family to stand up. And the people stand up. And he does, the pastor does exactly what the Bible says to do. He said, we have gone to you in private. We have taken witnesses to talk to you. We've pulled you in to talk you know, to the board. We've done everything that it is humanly possible to do to get you to repent. But all you've done is gossip, slander, backbite and try to split this church and he said you gather your stuff get out of this church now and don't ever come back and he said elders help them out and everybody went over there the, the the deacons went over and removed them and the evangelist said it was like a black cloud lifted off that church he said there was a heaviness there it was like a black cloud lifted off that church you know that church saw one of the greatest moves of god I don't want to say the name of the church, but it's a church that's impacted you in this whole nation. Okay. But they wouldn't have been able to if they would have been too cowardly to deal with those type of people. The reason why most churches can never do anything for God is because the pastor spends 90% of his time running behind Sister Busybody and Brother Bud in and going behind them. <laughs> And putting out every, putting out every fire that they start, and that's his job description. If he'll ever get a belly full of it and get rid of them, the church might be able to win a soul, see a move of God. But I've seen churches that can never break loose because they've got some people in there that keep that church in bondage, and they never break out and do what God's called them to do ever. I'm dealing with some kind of a territorial spirit, and I'm telling you all of this because it ties into my sermon. I have not seen a church yet, and and I've been here my whole life, you know. You've been here your whole life. We have not seen a church yet that has really broke loose and saw a major move of God. And I'm talking from Dallas to Texarkana, the Oklahoma border, all the way down to like Carroll, Tyler, maybe beyond. We've never, we have not seen a significant move of God. There have been little fires that started burning, and then the devil got in 90% of the time through division and got people upset with each other, immaturity, and next thing you know, the revival's dead. 
The enemy has been so at work with this that a dear friend of mine, a pastor here, he's, he's anointed, okay, very anointed, and God has used him powerfully. But during his time in this region, it was so bad that some of these people were opposing him and opposing everything that he was trying to do for God inside of his church. And he's trying to deal with this, trying to deal with it scripturally. These people are so hateful. These are supposed to be Christians, mind you. These are supposed to be Christians that are spirit-filled, that they go to church, they're in the church. And this is one of the stunts they pulled was they, one of them tried to run his daughter off the road on I-30, and she crashed her car. Now tell me how in the world, how can that go on in a Christian's mind that that's okay? And for a few years, he told me for a few years, he struggled with unforgiveness toward these people that had done so much against him. This is the spirit of this area. Are you listening to me? It's a divisive religious spirit that has dead religion with no power, and people can't get along enough to pray for God to actually come down in power. And I strongly feel that God's been doing a work for years now with the core group to prepare you to be able to handle this type of satanic attack. Because when the principality of this area blueprints things, here's what they do. Who's a threat and who's not? Did you know some churches are not a threat to the devil? There's no point in even sending a worn-out demon. Because they're no threat. <laughs> Amen. A crippled one, one that you know. There's no point in sending one. But there, but there are churches that are such a threat that he'll find the most powerful one to send. Now you guys say I want to be a threat. I do too. I remember I preached a sermon about being known in hell. You remember the seven sons of Sceva in the Bible? I heard Brother Rodney say that a lot of churches, the reason why they never get a breakthrough is because Queen Jezebel leads the choir. The seven sons of Sceva are on the board. <laughs> Judas Iscariot's holding the money bag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true. But anyway, the seven sons of Sceva were people that knew about the power of God, but they didn't have the power of God. And there was a demon-possessed man. And they go up to him. There were seven sons of Sceva and a, Jew, a Jewish priest. And they go up and say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. Now, this would be embarrassing if this was you, okay? The demon-possessed man jumped on all eight of them and beat them up. <laughs> I've never had that happen. <laughs> Praise God. Beat them up, and it said that some of them, you guys have read this, haven't you? Acts 19. Anyway, it says that they, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That would be awkward, would it, you know? <laughs> hey, that's in, it's in the Bible, friend. And here's the problem. They said in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, listen, here's what the demon said. The demon was speaking through the demon-possessed guy and said this. He said, I know Jesus, and I know who Paul is, but who are you? Whoops. <laughs> See, they know Jesus, and they knew who Paul was because Paul's a threat. But they said, who are you? And then they, he jumped on him and beat him up. 
But I love the part that the demon-possessed guy said, I know who Paul is. Do you want to be somebody that's a threat that the enemy's like, oh, I know who that is? Amen? I had a friend of mine I went to. I had a friend of mine in Bible school. Of course, he was, he was a little off, you know. He was a little strange. But I'm just kidding. He was a good guy. But he was like, yeah, he said, I want my name. He said, I want my picture in Hill's post office as most wanted, you know. That's <laughs> Joey. I'm getting a picture right now in my mind. You with that, you know, that whole FBI most wanted look right in hell. That's good. That's good. Man. But um, if you want to be a threat, that's good. But you're not a threat unless you have the power of God in your life. You're just not. They're not afraid of you. They're not, like I've said before, they're not afraid of your theological degree. When the devil th- shows up, it's not going to be like, oh, wow, look at all those diplomas on this wall. We need to run. <laughs> Don't go there, you know. He might stab you with this little envelope opener. You know. But they're not, they're not afraid. Just because you have diplomas, they're not afraid. What, what is the devil afraid of? Listen, Acts 10:38. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's what they're afraid of. 1 John 3:8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. They're afraid of anointed people. See, when Jesus, Acts 10:38, once again, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. Whenever you get anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and you begin to go out and bring healing and deliverance to people, then the enemy stands up and takes notice. There's a scripture in the Bible, it's in Chronicles somewhere, where it talked about, it said, it was talking about King David and how King David was whipping up on the Philistines. But it says there was war with the Philistines, and David won, you know. Then there was war with the Philistines. Then there was war with the Philistines. And then it says, and then Satan stood up. See, when you're going out and you're doing, making war against the enemy and you win, then you're making war against the enemy again, then you win. Then you make war against the enemy and you win. How many knows the devil's going to stand up and protest? I'm telling you this for a reason because you want to be a threat. You want to be used of God. That's good. So do I. But you've got to understand the enemy's not just going to take it lying down. And there's many who've gone before you that have not been able to make it. Let me say that again. There's many who's gone before you that have not been able to make it. And you better walk humbly before God because how do you know that you've got what it takes? But for the grace of God, amen, we've got to be humble. But recognize, recognize, listen to me, recognize the stronghold of the enemy. Okay? What does the enemy have in this region that nobody else has been able to conquer in the past that I know of? Well, number one, there seems to be a very powerful stronghold of a religious spirit. And you need to do your homework and study up on it because this isn't the sermon. I'm not going to deal with it much. I'm not going to deal with religion or witchcraft too much. But what is a religious spirit? A religious spirit is summed up in the scripture that says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it, the power thereof. 
In other words, they have a form of godliness. They, have, they go through the motions. They have the ritual down. How many know you go week in and week out in church and it's just a ritual, okay, in some places? They got the ritual down real good. But where's the power? The devil is not afraid of your ritual. He's afraid of the power. And there seems to also be a stronghold that has to do with witchcraft. And it's interesting because Galatians 5.19, and please get this, it attributes witchcraft as a work of the flesh. And you look it up in the dictionary, it talks about the dark arts and all that, and that's true, that's part of it. But it, it funnels down to being something of the flesh because witchcraft has everything to do with control, trying to control other people. And I'm going to tell you what the stronghold is in many places. It's people that are in positions of control. And they do not want to let the Holy Spirit be in control. They want to be in control. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You realize in churches all across this area and all across this nation, there are people that are in key positions of control in one way or another, whether it be through money, whether it be through intimidation, or it's their position in the church, whatever. They're in positions where they can control and dictate what goes on. And that's witchcraft. They don't want God to move. They want to be in control. How did the church get so arrogant that it could come to a place to where we won't let God be God? We want to resist, quench, and grieve the Holy Spirit and think that our agenda and the way we do things is better than the way God would do things. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But another way you can translate that in the Greek is, where the Spirit is Lord, there's freedom. Where the Holy Spirit is allowed to do what he wants to do, how many knows there's going to be freedom? there's a stronghold of religion and witchcraft in this area. And it concerns me because religion is a horrible thing. It would be better to be in bondage to many other things to be, rather than to be in bondage to a spirit of religion. That's one of the worst bondages that you can be in. You know, did you know that the Pharisees in Jesus' day knew the Bible better than any of you? And they prayed and fasted for the Messiah to come all the time. They tithed. They lived more legalistically righteous than many of you. And when Jesus stood in front of them, they hated him so much they wanted to kill him. They said he was demon-possessed. They told people to not follow him. He was a false prophet. The very people that knew the Bible better than you and I that knew the prophecies about the coming Messiah and were fasting and praying for the Messiah to come, looked right in the face of the Messiah and simply said he's a false prophet and a false teacher and he's demon-possessed. See, that is a religious spirit right there. If you want to know about a religious spirit, study the Pharisees. There's people in this area that they know the Bible and they, they know the lingo, they know how to act, they know how to act at church, you know, they know how to be. 
But when the Lord shows up, the Holy Spirit, you understand the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father or the Son. And when God shows up, they do the same exact thing the Pharisees did to Jesus. They say it's the devil, and they want to kill it. So what are gates of hell? Well, we have some guys that sometimes come and mow our lawn. For them to get in my backyard, they have to go through a gate, okay? All right, anyway, making a point. But, yeah, the other day, Mika said he was just out there minding his business, eating his cereal. And uh, all of a sudden, the guys come with the mowers, and he's just kind of like, what's going on, you know? <laughs> I've just pictured that. That would have been funny. All right, anyway, sorry. But a gate of hell, a gate is a point of entry. That's all it is. And Jesus said in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So you've got to understand, what, what is a gate of hell? A gate of hell is an access point. It's a, it's a point of entry into somebody's life, for example. A point of entry maybe into their body where they're having health problems or their soul or their spirit. It's a point of entry into churches, family bloodlines. It's a point of entry into a city or a region or a nation. So how does these gates open up and the, and the enemy be able to come through that into a city or a region and set up a stronghold? There's different things. These are just some that were on the top of my head as being ancient, if you will, but I'm sure there are many more in this area. But obviously Freemasonry has been here for a long time. The Native Americans and also dead religion. These are gates of hell that the enemy has come in. And we need to shut these gates, amen? But you know what one of the greatest battles seems to be? It has to do with praise and worship. I've heard some of the most ridiculous, stupid things. You know, over the years, now we've had a breakthrough, praise God, in, in this nation. But there was a time, and this is a spirit of religion, where if you didn't wear a suit, you know, you weren't saved. Anyway, and I, I remember those days. And, and, if you, and, if you, and if you didn't sing all the hymnal, oh, he was going straight to hell. You know what I'm saying? And um, there was churches that were back before, before we had the, the, uh, you know, the, the nice projectors, the videos and stuff we do now, that would simply put them up. You remember those, those ones that you'd turn on? It was just on the wall? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Whenever people switched to that, there was this one old man that was all mad and quit coming to church. It's a true story. And the pastor called and said, hey, brother, what's going on? He said, I don't like it. You guys sing off the wall. <laughs> he was serious. He was serious. Sing off the wall. Well, he's like, well, I can't argue with that. We do sing off the wall. I mean, what are you going to say? He thought they were all going to hell, for real. And that's the deception. Let me tell you, the devil hates praise and worship. I think there's more than one reason. But one of the reasons why the devil hates praise and worship is because that seems to be when the Holy Spirit comes in so powerfully. You know, a lot of preachers out there are very anointed, powerful men of God. But because the praise and worship is so dead in their church, there's no atmosphere. And every time they get up to preach, it's hard. It's hard to preach in a dry atmosphere. It's hard to minister when it's spiritually dead. There's no anointing. It's difficult. I 
But that's one of the strongest places of attack is the devil does not want freedom in praise and worship. There's a whole teaching I could do on praise and worship, but I'm not going to. But there's seven Hebrew words for praise. And it has to do with dancing, singing, shouting, clapping your hands, lifting your voice, you know, and, and leaping and even twirling. But there's freedom. And when you're free in your praise and worship, it releases the power of God. It releases the presence of God. But when praise and worship is dead, and you guys have been around it, and everybody's just sitting there looking like just It's so dead, and it's just, why be there? I mean, we're supposed to be there to worship God. Amen? But I've seen some places where you're trying to, to worship God. You guys ever taken the old ice trays out, and it's like, you know, that's a lot of churches right there. God's like, come on, let's crack this thing, and everybody's just, it's the frozen chosen. You guys heard that? So... Yeah, and that's that's God if they're trying to you know do something, but they're just all just like a bump on the log, just sitting there. What do you say? You know, what's going on? All right, so a form of godliness without the power. You know what Christ means? It's not Jesus's last name. What Christ was was his title. Okay, people think that I'm not trying to be funny. Anyway, it's okay. Anyway, so Christ means the holy. And anointed one of God. That's what it means. The holy and the anointed one. Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Christ. Okay? You know what an antichrist spirit is? It's anti-holiness and anti-anointing. Everybody understanding this? Why does the Bible call it an antichrist spirit? It could have called it an anti-Jesus. Jesus means salvation. It didn't call it anti-Messiah and anti-Jesus. It said an anti-Christ spirit. Because the anti-Christ spirit opposes the anointing and also the holiness. There's two things, and I'm, I'm exposing something in this area for those that are getting this. There's a spirit that hates preaching against sin and bringing people to repentance and getting people right with God. It's a spirit that wants people to believe that they can live in sin and play games with God, do whatever they want to do, and somehow with this false idea that they got some kind of card that says that they're going to be able to go to heaven because they said some little prayer one time. You realize how prevalent that is in this area? I feel sorry for people that live their whole life deceived into thinking that I had a friend of mine, I'll tell this story. There's a friend of mine that was, that's a preacher, and, he, and for many years he was very rebellious and away from God. And God really got a hold of his life, and he got saved. And he knew he was called to preach, and he surrendered. And God gave him a very radical experience. And he had a vision of hell. And it said it scared him half to death. It, really, it, really st- it stayed with him his whole life from that point. But he said all of a sudden he saw hell, and it was like as real as you could be. He was like he was there. And there was people that were in little pits of fire, and they were, they were absolutely tormented. They were screaming. And he said there was somebody, though, that was like reaching down in the pits and trying to see the face of those that were there going from pit to pit. And he's watching this, and he's going, what is going on? And he, and he asked the Lord in the vision. He said, Lord, I don't understand what this is. What is that man doing? Is the man that was going from pit to pit had the most hateful look on his face he's, he's ever seen in his life. It was pure hatred. 
And then he said, what is that guy doing? And Jesus told him and said, he's looking for the preacher that told him that you can live in sin and still go to heaven. And then the Lord told him, don't be that preacher. And then the vision was over. Hello? Would that get your attention? I didn't have the vision that got my attention. I don't believe the preachers. It's just my personal opinion. I don't believe you, re, you reap what you sow. I don't believe the preachers that are sending people to hell are going to be in heaven. That's just my opinion. Amen? You reap what you sow. All right. So the Antichrist spirit, number one, is an anti-holiness. It basically wants people to live in sin and play games with God. Number two, it's anti-anointing. Okay. All right, the next thing is Matthew 12. And speaking against the Holy Spirit. Y'all go with me there if you got your Bibles. Matthew chapter 12. While y'all are turning there, you know what the greatest revivals that this nation and England and Europe has ever seen has been when the power of God has come down and it's resulted in, in mass salvations. There was a man that, that, that literally spearheaded the great awakening in our nation by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And his sermon that he preached is so famous that you can still, you can Google it. It's in, it's in writing. It's in print. And God told him, told Jonathan Edwards, said, I want you to preach a sermon that's entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he, and he didn't want to preach it. And he wrote it. He wrote the sermon down, the whole thing. And it said, it said that he obeyed God finally, and he sat there like this, and he read the sermon. The fear of God came in that place so strong that people reported that they were, they were people that were white-knuckling the pew in front of them because they literally felt like hell was opening up beneath them, and they were about to fall into hell. That's what sparked the Great Awakening. How many knows when the Holy Spirit shows up, he brings conviction of sin? He wasn't up there browbeating anybody. He was just reading what God told him to read, like this. But the Holy Spirit, when he came, people were convicted and repented. But here's the warning for this area. Matthew 12, starting in verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man, talking about Jesus, who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Or in other words, the Messiah. But the Pharisees heard this and said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. 
But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Could it be any more clearer than that? I'm concerned for the people, some of the people in this area. Where does, where does God draw the line with people with that? I've heard preachers tell people, tongues is of the devil. What planet are they from? Do they read? <laughs> are they literate? I'm not trying to be mean. I mean, it's not like it's not in there. Is there just one place tongues is in the Bible? No, there's several places. I don't know. But let them keep flapping their mouth because God will have the final word. We're just going to go forth and do what God's called us to do. Amen? Trying to wrap this thing up. Jezebel and Ahab tendencies is also something that concerns me. Revelation 2.20 says that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess but leads my servants into sexual sin and food sacrificed to idols. What the Jezebel spirit is is really a spirit of rebellion. I'm actually writing a book on this right now, so y'all be praying for me. But it's a spirit of rebellion, and what it is, for example, in the home where the husband is not the head of the home, he's not leading the home. How many knows that's rebellion? I mean, if God's called you to do something, do it. Amen? Don't make excuses. The wife is not submitting under that authority and being obedient in everything, as unto the Lord. I mean, where do you see this? Where can you see a home now that is biblical? Do you guys know people? I mean, even when you go to work and school, I mean, how many places do you see the husband that's really leading the family in the ways of God? And the wife is being submissive in everything, obedient in everything, as unto the Lord. And children are honoring and obeying their parents. That's God's order. And see, what Satan is doing is, is he's bringing rebellion, and you've got children now. And the Bible said in the end times that children would rebel against their parents. But you have kids that are rebellious that can't bring themselves to honor and respect their parents and obey them. But, man, they're going to have a hard life. Now, that's their choice. And then you've got wives that will not be obedient to their husband at all. There's always bucking their authority. And you've got husbands that don't want to lead. They're just passive, and they don't want to rise up and be what God's calling to be. It's sad. But it's in the church. Just, you know, it just reminds me of what's going on with the church, a particular church that I know of, where there's there's men in the church on the board, and the pastor doesn't even have a say-so about anything, 
unless there's a tied boat. You know, I don't want to get off on this too far, but where did voting, where is that in the Bible? Anybody know? I'll tell you, you can go search it yourself. It's not in there. And that's where about 90% of the church problems come because they take a vote on something. <laughs> How many of you guys have seen that? It's been in church very long. I don't like that colored carpet. I, I mean, I am not coming back if it's brown. It better be blue. That's stupid. Who cares? But it's the same in the church. See, what they try to do is they try to take American secular government and put it in the church. How many knows that this is a kingdom? A kingdom with a king. That means Jesus is in charge. All right? And he lets the authority know, and there, there we go, in the problem. And can you imagine, can you fathom in your mind this? A pastor coming in and going, Jesus told me to do this. Now, let's vote on it and see if we're going to do it. <laughs> Does anybody else see the stupidity? <laughs> I don't understand it. I mean, it's like if the king if the king says do something, you do it. All right. But to really be effective, I'm going to start wrapping this thing up. To really be effective, we have to be free from the satanic influence of the area. We don't need to be religious. Amen. We don't need to tolerate this Jezebel Ahab's junk. We don't need to be rebellious. We don't need to have dead religion and all this church politics and all this garbage. And we don't need to be disunified. But let me tell you, look, we've got to be mature. If you've got a problem with somebody in the church, the Bible says if you have a problem with somebody, go to them. You realize if people would just take that, okay, Jesus taught a lot of things, but people would take that one sentence type it out and put it on their, on their refrigerator, okay, or their mirror where they fix their hair and brush their teeth every day. That one sentence that says, if you have a problem with your brother, go to them. Do you realize that about 90% of church problems would stop? But instead, so-and-so gets offended, and what do they do? They get on the phone, and they start calling all their buddies, gossiping and running down the other person. <laughs> they get on Facebook. Amen. <laughs> Yeah. They get on Facebook or their MySpace, and there we are. They got a blog now, a blog about their offense. I'm offended. This is my offended blog. You know, it's just, it's just sad. All right, so well, we've got to be the opposite spirit of what Satan has here. We've got to be free. We've got to be like Jesus, filled with the Spirit, where the fruit of the Holy Spirit is in our lives, love, joy, peace, Okay? That we're living holy and we're doing right. I don't want to be hypocritical. I don't want to be somebody that says that says one thing and does another. I don't want to be somebody that calls myself a Christian but is living in sin. That's a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be the person that gives everybody else in the world an excuse to be like, see, all those Christians are hypocrites. Look at this guy. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the one that they say, well, I might have known some hypocrites, but, man, that guy is the real deal. That's what I want to be. Amen? To actually live out the faith. Jesus said in John 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey them. That's what he said. But that's why some of these things like freedom and praise and worship, from the very beginning, 
I have been really adamant about let's be free in our praise and worship. And nobody better ever come in this church and be like, I don't like so-and-so. They jump around. I'll say, look, man, there's a lot of churches where nobody jumps around. Why don't you go there? Okay, we're on fire here. Hello. He saved me. I don't know about you. He saved me. We want to be a place where the power of God, we want to be a place that honors the Holy Spirit, free from Jezebel's influence and free from a religious spirit. Amen? But I'm going to tell you, and I really feel like this is prophetic, the only way Satan is going to try to attack and it be something that's actually dangerous is through division. It's through division because that's how the enemy destroys. Let me say it one more time because it's obviously really important that you hear that. The way that Satan is going to try to attack is through division. He's trying to to divide. And that's what you're going to have to stop and not let it come in through your life. Okay? If you've got a problem with somebody, you need to go to them. You sit down and talk about stuff. Okay? I'm going to tell you some some quick things about that. The pastor taught me this when I was just really young. If somebody comes to me and be like, I don't like Joey, I'll say, well, I understand. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. I won't. But... Just kidding. But if they come to me and say, and say, I don't like Joey. Okay, this is the real. I was kidding there. But anyway, if they say, I don't like Joey, then I'm going to say, okay, let's go. And I'll take them to Joey and say, now, what's going on? I'm sorry. If you'll be that way, two things will happen. One is it'll help stop division. But number two, they'll quit coming to you. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, whenever, whenever somebody's like that with you, you need to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Part of the solution is, is that you're a peacemaker and somebody that's trying to keep unity and peace in the body of Christ. So when you know this stuff is going on, try to put an end to it, not fuel it. I don't like Joey. Okay, well, man, I, I know. I hear you, so let's talk about it. What's that? What's the problem? You don't like the way he preaches? You don't like he shaved his head? I understand. I mean, you know. I'm just kidding. No, we need, seriously. He's, he's giving me a dirty look. I need to move on. I'm just messing with you, man, because I love you. All right, number three. Be ready to endure persecution as a good soldier, Second Timothy 2.3. Jesus said, greater works will you do. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And he said, the world will hate us. The sad thing is, the world does hate us, but it seems like the religious crowd hates us a lot more. <laughs> you know, man? Now, Jesus, Jesus never had a problem with the sinners. It, you, okay, somebody tell me a story where, Jesus, where a sinner didn't like Jesus. All the sinners liked Jesus because he was forgiving their sin and ministering to them and healing them and delivering them. They all loved him. Who hated Jesus? The Pharisees. The religious crowd. This is, this is the last part. That this battle will not be won by human might, which is strength, but by the Holy Spirit's power. I'm going to move through these points real quick. But impartation, Romans 1.11, Paul said, I long to be with you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. It can be translated in the Greek, and I love this because I, I studied this out. Paul said, I long to be with you that I might impart to you some, spirit, some spiritual gift to lead you to a place of strength. What's imparted in you through the laying on of hands will lead you to a place of strength. Is everybody getting that? Y'all look this way. It will lead you to a place of strength. This is so important. 
When I was, and I shared this earlier with somebody, but when I was about 19 years old, 20 years old, I was, I was working at a church. And there was somebody that prophesied over me and said this. He said, the anointing that's in you is very mature, but you're not mature yet. But the anointing that's in you will mature you. Did everybody get that? He said to me, the anointing that's in you is very mature, but you're not yet. But that anointing that's in you will mature you. And that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. What's in you through laying off hands, the power of God, the impartation of what's in you, will lead you to a place of strength. And how many knows in, in 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul said, stir it up. Stir up what's in you through laying off hands. How do you stir it up? How do you stoke a fire if you go out camping? You can breathe air on it. That's right. Let me tell you. But you get a stick, okay? How many know Stephanie's been camping, amen? <laughs> anyway, you get a stick and you can stoke the fire. But here's what you got to do. Every day when you get up, spend some time with the Lord. And the wind of heaven will breathe on you, and it's stirring up what's in you. And as you spend time with the Lord, the Lord is stirring up what's in you, stirring up that anointing. The clothing of power. How many knows we need to be clothed with power from on high? Luke 24, 49, Acts 1-8. Know the word of God for yourself to be able to give an account. Like I tell you guys all the time, study it out for yourself. Some of you guys have, have, have been challenged. You know, somebody's challenged what you believe. Why do you believe in this? And then you call me or text me, and I have to help you out, you know. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's part of my job. Amen. I understand. <laughs> but there may be a time when I'm in the shower or indisposed. All right? So you need to know it for yourself. But seriously, but seriously though, we do need to know what we believe. And rightly divide the word of truth. We need to study this thing and know it. And whenever people preach, including myself, you need to study it for yourself. Okay. All right. Letter E, take communion. Let me tell you, the early church understood something about communion. It's ironic because I already had this. And, and Meek and I were watching Perry Stone the other day talk about it. But communion is so powerful. Many people don't really realize. Y'all look this way. Many people don't really realize how powerful communion really is. But the early church would take communion. It says they broke bread weekly, and most people believe, most scholars believe, that they took communion at least once a week, corporately. In Revelation 2.4, I never saw this for years. It says that you, you can forsake your first love. And I always thought that had to do with, you know, when you first get saved, you're all excited. And, then, you know, and I've seen the fire die in many people. Um, it hadn't died in me yet. I guess it's not supposed to. Amen? Come on. Yeah. All right. So anyway. Revelation 2.4, and, and the actual Greek is really interesting. Look this up, get a strong, look it up for yourself. It says you have forsaken your supreme love feast, and that is the Lord's Supper. That's communion. So what was the threat that Jesus made? He said you're in danger of losing your lampstand. I'm going to take away your lampstand. So then you've got to go back to the tabernacle. What's the lampstand? It has to do with the anointing, and it has to do with revelation. Because people are neglecting the Lord's Supper. And let me tell you, you know, I could go on and on and, and preach a whole sermon, but communion in the early church was a very significant and powerful thing. People took it with faith. It's not a dead religious ritual. 
The way you take it in an unworthy manner is to not recognize and discern the body of the Lord. In the Corinthian church, you have to read things in context. They, they were a bunch of heathen. I mean, you know, the Corinthians are known. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You've, you've studied the word. The Corinthians were troublemakers. I mean, they were a problem city. They, they were very sinful. And when they got saved, they had the Lord had to clean them up. And here these goofs are at the Lord's table. And the first off, they'd take communion, and then they would eat or whatever. And some of these guys are pigging out, eating all the bread because they're hungry. Seriously, that's what it says. And getting drunk with the wine and not even leaving food for the other people. And he's rebuking them, saying, you're not even rightly discerning the Lord's body. You know, you can eat a cracker just because you're hungry or drink juice just because you're hungry. But if you'll take it with faith, there's power in that. Are you guys getting this? There's power in it when you take it with faith. There's been many people that have taken communion that have been physically healed because they recognize the body of the Lord. I believe with all my heart when David said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, because you've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I believe with all my heart that's communion. That's the Lord's table. That's my conviction. And what does he say? He says, You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. There's a fresh anointing at the Lord's table. I could go on and on, but I'm telling you, don't neglect the Lord's Supper. If you want a fresh anointing in your life, if you want to walk in the power of God, you want to walk in revelation, you need to be taking communion regularly, okay? All right. And the, the wonderful thing about communion, too, is you examine yourself. Make sure that you don't have unforgiveness or sin. You examine yourself. And that's why we take it before church, because it gives everybody a chance to be like, okay, Lord, you know, I need to forgive this person. I need to get this under blood. And you know what? When you come into worship, you go right into God's presence. Because there's not all that junk hindering you. Keep a strong personal prayer life. Last couple things. Demonstrations of the Spirit's power are so important. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, Paul said this. I don't come to you with eloquent words. And how many knows he could have? He was a very educated man. Okay. He was a Pharisee and all that. He knew the word. He could have come with eloquent words. He said, I don't come with eloquent words, but I come in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. What does it mean to demonstrate the Spirit's power? Think about the word demonstrate. If I was to demonstrate something to you, I would have a little model here. And I'd be like, now this is how this works, you know. It's a demonstration. So whenever the Holy Spirit comes in demonstration of the Spirit's power, things are going to happen. The sick are going to be healed. People are maybe going to fall down or shake or whatever. You know, demons are going to come out of people. This is the demonstration of the power of God. Why is that so important? Because people's faith rests on God and not men. That's what Paul said. I come in demonstration of Spirit's power so that people's faith rests on God and not men. If he was to come with eloquent words, people's faith would have rested on him. But he came in power, and people's faith rested on God. And this, I use this example all the time, and I really want you to get this. As I close this thing, I really want this to be something that sinks into your heart, okay? Right now, in colleges all over the nation, people are growing up in dead churches where they've never seen one miracle. Okay? They've, they've heard the stories and how annoying it is to many of them that all they've ever done is just heard about it, but they've never seen or, or experienced anything with God. And when they get in college now, the college of professors are being used of the devil to try to undermine God's word 
and say that it's not real, that it's been butchered through the years, and that um, Jesus actually never really lived. And, and they're always just trying to question everything. And, and you know what? The, did you know that the percentage of people that have grown up in church and go to college and falling away from Christ is huge? It's so bad that, listen, it's so bad right now that churches are devoting ministries to just make sure that doesn't happen. That's how bad it is. I don't remember the stats, but it's very high. Let me tell you this. I believe with all my heart that, for example, Brianna, if she was to grow up and be in a secular college where they were trying to preach that or whatever, there is no way that would work, and I'll tell you why. Because she has seen too many people healed in the name of Jesus. She has seen demons come out of people. She has seen the power of God. How many times have you been hit by the power of God? Who knows, you know? How are you going to argue with that? It's like I've read this thing and I've seen it. You can say whatever you want to say. I know it's real. See, whenever, you're, whenever there's demonstrations of the Spirit's power, people's faith rests in God. But as people's faith, you know, people are coming with eloquent words and no power. It's just faith in man. It's like, okay, this is what my preacher told me my whole life. And then the college professor comes, and you got your faith in your preacher, but then he starts messing with their head, and they're confused. Faith was just in man. But when the power of God shows up and things start happening, then it's like my faith isn't just in the preacher I grew up under. My faith is in God. I've had an encounter with him. Did you ever convince the Apostle Paul that Jesus wasn't real? Why? Because he saw him. He had an encounter with him. How many of you guys have been touched by God where you felt God's power? How could you deny that? Are you understanding why now, now why it's so important that we have demonstrations? Do you want people to grow up and end up going to hell? Then they need to have some kind of an encounter with God for themselves where they're going to have faith in God and believe. Just like last night, I was leaving because I've seen this so many times now, but, you know, the leg that grew out in the service, you know? Okay, how many of you did that really strengthen your faith? That really did something to you? Okay. See, let me tell you, if somebody comes up to you now and says Jesus isn't real, how much more is your faith that he is? I've seen demons come out of people. I've seen people healed. I've, I've had encounters with the power of God. Nobody can convince me otherwise. And I'm going to tell you, whenever you've paid a price for something, the Bible says, buy the truth and don't sell it. Sometimes you have to pay a price for a truth. You know, Kenneth Hagin in that book I've had you guys read, it changed my life. But, you know, Kenneth Hagin was so sick. I mean, he actually died a few times. And, and for a year he was so sick. You know, how many knows he paid a price? And God, man, I felt that. Whenever he, he sat there and stood in faith, and he had to believe God against all odds. And let me tell you, he was a great champion of faith. How many people, there's, there's no telling how many thousands and thousands and thousands of people were healed through his ministry. And even today, he's dead and gone, but his books are changing our lives. Because he paid a price to have something with God. Sometimes you have to go through some stuff, but you're paying a price. Because you know why it's important to buy the truth and not sell it? Sometimes if you don't pay a price for something, when persecution comes, you'll just walk away from it. But if you really suffer and you're persecuted for something and you have to pay a price for it, nobody will ever be able to take it from you. 
that's important that you hear that. The last thing above all, keep unity. I feel that in my spirit as a warning. If the devil is going to defeat this ministry, it's going to be through disunity. That's it. There's got to be order. We've got to be under authority, submitted to authority. We've got to make sure not get rebellious. I'm going to tell you, we have got to stay unified. And we're supposed to love one another. But you know, when the devil shows up, sometimes that gets blurred. Okay? You get irritated with so-and-so. But how many knows all of us have got our imperfections? And we need to be gracious and understand, look, you know, the person got on my nerves. So what? I'm sure I get on their nerves sometimes. I love them. It's not right to be calling names during a time like that, man. Let me, let, me pray. let me pray for you guys and speak a blessing. But Lord, I thank you so much for this word tonight. I thank you for your presence and your power. And I pray people will never be the same. As one soul we've had an encounter with you will never be the same. And I pray let the fire burn brighter, hotter, and higher in all of us. Lord, I pray there be such a hunger and thirst and passion for more of you. You said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. So I pray that we'd be filled because we're hungry. Lord, I pray that um, you would seal this word in the hearts and lives of people. We're either going to believe the whole word, Lord, the whole word, or none of it at all. We're not going to rip out a page out of the Bible just because we don't like what it says. We're going to conform our life to Jesus, to the image of Jesus. We're going to obey his teachings. Lord, I pray surround everybody with the angels of the Lord because you said you encamp your angels. How about those who fear the Lord? You take them home safely, bring them back safely. And may the Lord bless every one of you that every area and detail of your life, your family, your ministry is blessed and fruitful. I speak over you that you'll walk in the fullness of the freedom and the victory and the dominion Jesus paid for you to have on the cross. That you'll be discipled, equipped, and empowered into your destiny. And you will reach your highest purposes, full potential, and maximum level of fruitfulness that God wants you to walk in. That you'll be the powerful, bold witness God has called you to be. That you'll be the powerful prayer warrior and intercessor that God's called you to be. That you'll be a true light and salt in the world. And that everybody around you will be affected by the power of God. I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. Now just stay like you are. I feel like... Uh, Lord's giving me a, a message in tongues. I want Joey to interpret it. Iana ku shuku ma iana kanga ku iliama kianoro shuliama kianoku niama kianoro kulianda niando ku shiama niama.